following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening. Good to have you guys with us this evening. For those who are joining us now online, we welcome you. We pray that if you were with us just previously with the prayer, that you were blessed by that time and Furthermore, that uh, our time in the Word this evening will be encouraging to our hearts and uh, stimulating to our minds as we consider what God has said in His Word this evening. Now, uh, before you flip to Ruth, let me remind you that we have finished there. Hopefully you were here the last time and as you heard that conclusion. Uh, But we're just going to put that aside for a time. As our brother Widgen likes to say, uh, we'll put it to rest for now, but we will be back. And uh, I don't know when that will be or who that will be from, maybe someone else besides me, but uh, we're not done with it. We're just setting it aside for now and chewing on what we've learned, hopefully. But for now, we're going to move elsewhere and uh, take up another study. And for that, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ezra, the book of Ezra, where we'll spend now our time looking through Uh, This book of the Bible that God has given to us in our canon of Scripture. And this evening will be primarily some background information, although I do want to give you a few nuggets of truth from the book of Ezra this evening. And so we'll look at just a few significant verses, as significant as they all are, of course, in the book of Ezra. There are a few that I just wanted to note this evening that I think will be especially encouraging and hopefully convicting to your heart this evening. Now, of course, uh, in the book, in our English Bible, uh, the book of Ezra immediately follows Second Chronicles. And uh, let me draw your attention just for a moment uh, to the end of Second Chronicles, though. In chapter 36, verses 22 and 23, we actually find pretty much uh, verbatim what's found in the first few verses of Ezra chapter 1. In verse 22 of Second Chronicles 36, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. I should just pause, cause you to pause for a second, uh, that this is coming from uh, a non-Israelite king who is speaking about uh, God's... uh, Grace, bestowing of grace upon him to rule over the kingdoms that he has. This maybe doesn't give us quite enough clarity to know whether he was truly a God-fearing king, but of course, nonetheless, God was using him, and he was recognizing God's uh, common grace in his rulership. Verse 23, And he commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Then he poses this question, of course, in his decree, Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with you, be with him, and let him go up. What a proclamation that is in a time during Israelites' history where uh, there was not much obedience going on in that covenant community. And God's hand of judgment was upon him, upon them as they were in exile Uh, in Babylon. Now, uh, just to note for historical purposes in the timeline of Ezra, the Persian Empire forms the backdrop to all uh, the 
post-exilic books in the Old Testament, including First and Second Chronicles, of which we just read part of, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And this empire arose when the Persians toppled Babylon in roughly 539 B.C. under the rulership of Cyrus II, or as we probably more know him well as, Cyrus the Great. He was the dominant political figure for Judah and had been mentioned years earlier by Isaiah in chapter 44, verse 28, and chapter 45, verse 1. Let me just uh, read that to you now. We have time this evening. Isaiah chapter 44, if I can get there. Verse 44, verse 28, excuse me, chapter 44, verse 28, which says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Also in uh, verse 1 of chapter 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. And God, uh, of course, we see, uses Cyrus as his anointed instrument for carrying out his plan, which we will read more about as we look through the rest of Ezra. Now, it is during those years of early post-exile that Actually, Haggai and Zechariah Zechariah prophesied and moved the people to build the temple of the Lord, such as it was. And we see in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Now, originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were recorded actually as one book. And it is understandable why this is the case, since the book of Nehemiah is a progression of the events unfolding during the same time period which Ezra is being written and records the events of. Nehemiah was also a contemporary of Ezra. In fact, Ezra is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, where he reads from the book of the law, the law of Moses. Now, just uh, again for historical sake, uh, considering some of the early kings of the Persian Empire, uh, we notably uh, see here in the end of Second Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra, Cyrus II, or Cyrus the Great, as we know him. And then uh, another significant king would be uh, Darius, or Darius, or however you want to say his name, uh, the first. And then also uh, Xerxes the first, or Ahasuerus, who we uh, would know and note from the book of Esther. And then Artaxerxes the first, who uh, we see introduced in Ezra chapter 7, where Ezra himself is first introduced into the book as the person and the scribe there. Now, um, also, it's uh, noteworthy to consider uh, the, re the different returns from exile as recorded for us in, uh, in the book of Ezra. First is uh, right after... Uh, Cyrus the Great takes uh, rulership over Babylon and conquers them. He decrees this return that we just read in Second Chronicles 36, 
which is the first return of the exiles under, uh, namely, Zerubbabel, uh, a ruler who leads uh, the people from captivity or from back out of captivity under this decree back to uh, back to Jerusalem. We see this in Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, where it says those who came with Zerubbabel were, and then, of course, we have a list of names, hundreds of people that followed him back to Jerusalem under this decree made by Cyrus the Great. Now, uh, let me just give for you a brief uh, outline of the book of Ezra. Of course, then, we'll walk our way through it more uh, detailed fashion in coming weeks. But in the first six chapters, we have what is the first phase of return, where Zerubbabel leads uh, the people in rebuilding the temple under the decree or the edict of Cyrus. And uh, that edict edict or decree is seen again, as we noted in Ezra chapter 1, the first uh, four verses there. And uh, in the first chapter, we also see that uh, as uh, the people return, they also bring with them articles from the house of the Lord, which had been, uh, had been uh, stolen by Nebuchadnezzar from Jerusalem and put in his temple. We see this in verse 7 of Ezra chapter 1, where it says, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And, uh, and so we see the return of the articles of the, Lord, the house of the Lord there as well. In chapter 2, we see the, retol- re- the role of those who are returning, those who are coming with Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem. In chapter 3, we see worship reinstituted in Jerusalem, as well as the first phase of temple reconstruction. And also we see the political obstacles that are faced there uh, by adversaries of those who are building the temple. There is then uh, kind of a, a lull in the building of the temple during that time period then, and we see then in chapter 5 a, a, uh, a renewal of those efforts of the temple reconstruction, as well as more uh, political uh, obstacles that are faced. In chapter 6, in this first section, we also see the Passover reinstituted in Jerusalem. Now, uh, then in chapter 7 is where actually Ezra himself, as I already noted, is first introduced as uh, named after the author or named after the person uh, of this book here. And during this second kind of phase of return under Ezra, uh, we see a number of things taking place in the following three chapters, Ezra 7 through 10. Uh, We see in chapter 7 primarily Ezra's role in Jerusalem as both the one who leads the second uh, return from exile, as well as his mission and goal in returning as well. We also see Artaxerxes' commission of Ezra and the thanksgiving as Ezra as, of Ezra as well in chapter 7. Verse, or chapter 8, we see also the role of those who are returning with Ezra, as well as the preparations of Levites returning with Ezra. And then uh, at the end of chapter 8, we see the arrival of Ezra in Jerusalem. In chapter 9, we see Ezra's confession. Uh, And uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment, actually. 
And then we also see in chapter 10 then uh, Ezra's dealings with those who were disobedient to God's command to not intermarry with foreigners. And so we see the resolution of that matter of spiritual concern in chapter 10. Now, uh, I know that's a lot of information, and, but don't worry, there's not a quiz on it. It's only uh, just to give you a sense of some of the content of Ezra and what we'll be looking at in coming weeks. Now, the events in the first six chapters of uh, this book begin with, again, as we said, Cyrus decreeing in his first year, which would have been about 538 B.C., and it ends in chapter 615, chapter 6, verse 15, with the completion of the temple in the sixth year of Darius's reign, which would have been about early 515 B.C. So we see uh, roughly about 20 years elapse in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. Now, in chronological terms, Ezra comes after 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 through 23, which we already read, wherein the author records the same degree mentioned in the beginning of Ezra and also uh, in which is restated in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. But this passage there uh, is actually uh, looking back from a later point in history at what had taken place at the beginning of Ezra chapter 1 there with the decree of, of, of Cyrus. These uh, events revolve around, uh, the events of chap- the first six chapters revolve around the return from Babylonian exile with Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. And all of this establishes the foundation for the introduction of Ezra himself as he's introduced in the beginning of chapter 7. We are told there at the beginning of chapter 7 that Ezra returned to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes I in chapter 7, verse 8, which was about around 458 B.C. Now, if you, uh, if you think about the dates which we just mentioned, uh, the end of chapter 6 ends around 515 B.C., whereas the beginning of chapter 7 picks up in around 450. 58 BC, so that may leave you wondering what happened during these uh, this 60 year gap or so between chapter 6 and chapter 7, which there is no recorded history about. Well, one thing we do know the events recorded in Esther would have taken place sometime during this period of time. And so perhaps uh, for uh, chronological sake, if you wanted to, you could read uh, the first six chapters of Ezra, and then if you wanted, you could read uh, the book of Esther, and then come back and pick up in chapter 7, and uh, chronologically, in in time, uh, you would have uh, understood what was going on during those 60 uh, years or so in that gap. Now, Ezra 7 through 10, chapter 7 through 10, consists of events in which Ezra himself was involved uh, intimately taking place in the years following his return to Jerusalem from Babylon, which is the second major return of the Jews, the first being that of Zerubbabel and then Ezra uh, in the second return of the Jews. Now, uh, I said there were a few significant verses in Ezra that I wanted to point out this evening, and uh, these are, there are many verses, of course, that re- require significant attention, but uh, these verses teach us 
more about God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Also, Ezra's mission and spiritual influence in that covenant community. And much more for application to our lives today. And the first I just wanted to point out is in Ezra chapter 1. Look with me at verse 1 and verse 5. It says there in verse 1 of chapter 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Just uh, think for a moment of what God is doing here. Stirring up the heart of a king, of a foreign king, so that he would uh, effectively do the work of God. We see here God's divine influence on the hearts of men. How, uh, where in other scriptures we see that uh, the kings, the rulers of the earth, are like waters in the hand of God. He bends them wherever he wishes. And here's one instance where God is working, stirring up the spirit of Cyrus to do his divine work. Look at verse 5 as well. It says, Then the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved. Here again we see God's effectual working in the lives of individual people. And uh, I would go as much to say that these are people who are true God-fearing men and women. The fact that uh, God uh, was moving in their lives, in their spirits, is evidence that they were concerned with the things of God and covenant faithfulness to their God. We also see another example of God moving in the spirits of people to do his goodwill and to be obedient to him in chapter 6, verse 22. Look for me, with me for a moment at that, chapter 6, verse 22. It says there, uh, this is uh, during the time in which uh, the temple was completed and dedicated and the Passover is once again being celebrated. And during this time, in verse 22, it says, And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them. That turning of the heart, uh, again, I take it to be uh, reflecting or similar to that, what we read in verse 1 of chapter 1, where God is doing an, an effectual work, a work in this, the heart of the king of Assyria so that he uh, does the work of God. In these verses, we see God's divine influence on the hearts of men and how he uses them for his goodwill and plans. Now, in chapter 7, verse 10, uh, we see a very important verse as well, significant to the whole book of Ezra and specifically the last three chapters. 
Uh, look with me at verse 9, actually, for the broader context. Here, uh, Ezra is returning to Jerusalem, and it says, On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. Look with, look with me at verse 10 now. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Notice Ezra's attention to the law of the Lord. It was not haphazard. It wasn't a second thought. This was Ezra's mission. He saw this as his, his goal, his responsibility. And notice what he does. There's three parts to this. He prepared his heart to what? Seek the law of the Lord. To seek the law of the Lord it would be similar to saying to inquire, to show careful attention to, to study it. Ezra, we know, being a scribe, would be a student of the word, would he not be? And that is the responsibility of us, is it not? To be students of the word, to seek it, to inquire about it. What am I supposed to know? I need to study it in order to know what it says. And so Ezra sought, he inquired about the things of the law of the Lord, God's word. The second thing that he did is what? He not only sought to understand it, but to do it. That is the purpose of God's word, is it not? It's not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And that was Ezra's intentions. So his first intention was to, to know it, to inquire, to seek, to know it better, to be a student of it. Secondly, to do it. And finally, or thirdly, to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. His third goal was to, to be a teacher of the law of the Lord. I hope as you consider Ezra's intentions that they would be similar ones in your life. The impact that you can have on others is significant, both in the church and also in your families. Are you, like Ezra, seeking to, to know it, to do it, and then to teach it? We see uh, Ezra fulfills his desire in Nehemiah chapter 8, where he teaches the law uh, to, the, to the Israelites there. And uh, we'll make mention of that as we get to it later in our study. Another significant verse we see is in chapter 9, verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. This is uh, the context around this is when uh, Ezra and, uh, and the leaders confess that uh, the intermarriage with pagans and in verse 3 it says, So when I heard this thing, that's Ezra, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out my hair, the hair, uh, excuse me, out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. He, he being astonished at the trespasses, the sins 
the wickedness that's happening in Israel, specifically in regards to marriages. Look at verse 4. It says, Then everyone who trembled at the words of the Lord of God, excuse me, at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. I want to just point uh, to the beginning of verse 4, where it says, uh, Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me. I think we see clearly here the convicting work of the Spirit in response to the embrace of God's word. Look at the look at this. Trembled at the words of God. When they recognized that what was going on was in direct uh, opposition to what God's word had told them to do, or not to do in this case. I wonder in our study of God's word whether we often feel the Spirit's convicting work. Do we tremble when we recognize our own shortcomings? Where we are, where our lives do not line up to God's holy standard? Are we like those here who tremble at the words of God, at their shortcomings to the perfections of God, and then do something about it? Finally, I want to draw your attention to a later verse in chapter 9 and verse 13. It says there, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this. Think with me for a moment at the mercy of our God. Ezra clearly understands that God's mercy has been lavished greatly in this situation. God has punished us, he says, less than our iniquities deserve. And I hope that you this evening are thankful that God does not punish us as we deserve. More than far less, he doesn't, in one sense, punish us at all. Instead, he has turned away, and as we know on the cross, allowed his wrath to be lavished upon his son for our sake. What great mercy God has shown towards his people, and we must give thanks. I look forward to our study in the book of Ezra. This is only a few glimpses of which we'll look further and more deeply into in coming weeks. But I am thankful, even in just these few verses, what we have learned about God's great mercy, about the Spirit's work of conviction, the importance of knowing and doing and teaching God's Word, and how God has worked and continues to work in a divine way through the hearts of men for His good work, good work and goodwill. Let's pray this evening as we close. Heavenly Father,
I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that our study of Ezra, Lord, would be uh, would cause us to carefully consider what you have done in the lives of those hundreds of years ago. And Lord, it it doesn't look that much different, as we've noted tonight already, than how you work in our lives today. How your word still ought to cause us to tremble. Lord, uh, both in reverence towards who you are, and also at our own shortcomings, not that we fear your wrath, because as we've noted, you have punished us far less more than we deserve. But Lord, also tremble because we desire to not walk in disobedience, but to confess and then to walk uprightly as you have taught us to do in your word. Lord, help us in these ways, we pray. May you bless us as we go this evening in our fellowship together. We pray this in your holy Son's name, our Redeemer and Savior, Jesus. Amen.